Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we'll be looking at the growing clamour in Europe for the creation of European industrial champions that are able to survive in an era of technological transformation, an America-first trade policy, and fierce global competition from state-owned Chinese companies. In perhaps the biggest antitrust ruling of recent times, the European Commission blocked a proposed tie-up between Siemens of Germany and Alstom of France to create the rail equivalent of Airbus. The decision to veto the deal has angered the French and German governments, who strongly supported the merger. The two companies said they needed to join forces to be able to compete with CRRC, China's state-owned rail behemoth. The Commission disagreed. Now Berlin, with the support of Paris, wants EU competition rules to be changed to reflect the rise of China. This was just one of a number of proposals for a more interventionist industrial policy presented earlier this week by Peter Altmaier, Germany's economy minister. He warned that Germany and Europe risked becoming mere bystanders in the next industrial revolution unless states were able to protect technologically important companies or subsidise research and innovation. But is this protectionism in a new 21st century high-tech disguise? Joining me on the line from Brussels is Rochelle Toplensky, the FT's Brussels correspondent, and from Germany, Guy Chazan, our Berlin bureau chief. Rochelle, if I can start with you, the Siemens-Alstom case really does sort of sum up the arguments on both sides. Why did the Commission decide to block this very political deal? Well, the antitrust rules here come down to very specific details. The Commission, the Competition Commission, is a quasi-legal body, and they look at the actual details of railway markets in Europe and around the world. So while the story of growing state-backed Chinese enterprises coming in and competing in an unfair playing field in Europe and beyond, people recognize that as a broad story. But when you actually look into the details of the rail market in Europe, it looks slightly different. And the Chinese aren't here. And they're just not going to be here for the foreseeable future. There's lots of safety and technical concerns. You have to persuade the government that your trains will work, that your systems will work. They have to work with the existing infrastructure that's been there for the last tens or hundreds of years. So despite CRRC being a massive company, 90% of their sales are in China, which is a protected market. They have less than 10% of their sales that are internationally. And that's been a push for about three, four years that they've been looking at selling internationally. And that hasn't really changed. And they haven't sold into Europe. Where they've sold into is metro trains in the U.S., which are a very different market. And fundamentally, the decision made today didn't have a problem with the metro trains. So what it actually comes down to is some fairly bread and butter competition issues. The commission said China for high-speed rail and signaling is not going to be competing in Europe anytime soon. And so Siemens and Alstom, when we look at how your businesses fit together, actually you have almost near monopolies in a variety of markets in the EU. And so you're going to have to give up some pretty substantial assets if you want 
to merge. What the companies offered was just not enough. They made one offer before Christmas and at the very sort of last dying days of the consideration of the process, put in a slightly improved offer. But it wasn't just Mr. that had problems with this. The rail authorities and a number of member states came out. Rivals obviously did. Some of their customers, as well as even four national competition authorities, one of which being Germany, that said what they're offering is just not enough. And today she did say there was, you know, there was a way for these companies to get this deal through. They just didn't want to sell as much as what was needed. Isn't the criticism, though, that the European Commission is sort of taking a rather static view of competition and that 20 years ago the Chinese rail industry was rather backward and then suddenly they are leading the world in terms of innovation and price and that with their massive R&D budgets, they'll soon be in a position to really take on Siemens and Alstom in global markets, even if the Chinese market itself remains pretty closed. Was the Commission not moved by that argument at all? Well, they were. And in the markets where China is likely to compete in the next, when pushed, she wouldn't say exactly how many years, but whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, when the Commission looked out for the next few years for very specific markets, Most of them, they didn't have a problem. Yes, they are probably going to be competing on metro trains or on um, some other rolling stock. But for those specific ones where the competition authority raised the concerns, they just don't think it's going to happen. And so strictly speaking, the companies needed to do something. And we've seen this in the States where CRRC has been quite successful. They've had four metro contracts that they've concluded there. But what you're actually starting to see in the U.S. as well is even new barriers starting to come up. So concerns about rail infrastructure being provided by foreign companies. So they recently last summer added railway infrastructure to the CFIUS filtering. So foreign investments will now be screened if they're in the railway industry in the U.S. And there were a number of voices that were coming from former CIA agents and people warning that these are now very connected trains. You know, they've got Wi-Fi, all the signaling systems are communicating and where the trains are and routing them. And there was concerns about whether that data could be harvested, whether the routing might be manipulated, and whether that was a security concern. So the lawmakers in the U.S. are actually contemplating a one-year ban on any purchases of Chinese trains to sort of consider if there is merit to these concerns. I mean, it sort of has some echoes of a similar sort of concern and debate that we're seeing over Huawei and the 5G network. It's not something specific, but there's sort of a general unease that these are very vital arteries that are running through our cities and our industry. And a question of whether do we want them made by foreign companies? I mean, Chinese railways, it's a closed market. Japan is a closed market. Russia is a closed market for railways. So there's nothing to say that they couldn't just turn around and actually, as the EU, say, we do think this is a strategic industry and we don't want foreign competition. Guy, Peter Altmaier referred to the question of creating European industrial champions, but he had a lot of other proposals, didn't he? And they really did amount to quite a sort of sea change in the German approach to industrial policy. Absolutely. One of the most eye-catching proposals that he unveiled was this idea of creating a state investment fund that would step in to kind of preempt foreign takeovers of, of big German companies. And the idea would be if there was a company that was critical in terms of its technology and it was subject to a foreign takeover and a sort of hostile takeover, if a white knight could not be found 
among domestic German companies, then the state would step in and actually take temporary ownership of that company to prevent it falling into foreign hands, which is extraordinarily protectionist, really, and very much goes against many of the principles that Germany has espoused up till now, you know, sort of a completely open free market economy with no such barriers against foreign investment. So it is definitely a kind of sea change. I think what motivated Altmaier was this event in 2016, which is constantly being cited as one of the sort of watershed moments in recent German history. It was the sale of KUKA, a leading robotics group, to a Chinese appliance maker called Midia. And that was a huge shock to the German political and business establishment. It was a sort of this company that has really been seen as a national champion was bought by a Chinese firm and since then has really been struggling, actually. And that was seen as a massive blow. And from then, there's definitely been the sense that Germany is really acutely aware and worried about a lot of its high tech falling into Chinese hands. German economic success has been driven in no small part by the success of its car makers. But Mr. Altmaier seemed particularly worried that Germany was falling behind the technological race there as well. And that that was the reason why governments needed to start thinking about bigger public subsidies for innovation and also intervention to allow smaller operators to come together, particularly in, for example, batteries. How important is that to Germany? Germany really sees its economic strength as resting on the success of its car industry. And they are absolutely paranoid about losing their global leadership in cars, especially premium cars, where they really dominate the market with, you know, Mercedes-Benz and BMW. Now, the big fear is that we're heading towards electric vehicles, and that could be the point where Germany loses its leadership position. And it's really one of the things that I think keeps people like Merkel up at night and also people like Altmaier. So Altmaier is really pushing the idea that there has to be this active industrial policy to ensure that the value chains of the future when it comes to electric cars remain in Germany and Europe. And he's prepared to be very interventionist on that front to make that happen, in particular when it comes to battery cell production. It's one of his real hobby horses, and he mentions it at every available opportunity. They really want to make sure that there is some sort of big battery cell factory in Europe. It doesn't have to be in Germany, but it has to be in Europe. Because as he keeps saying, at the moment, 90% of the value chains for making cars are in Europe and Germany. And in future, if we don't act fast, it'll go down to about 50%. And Germany will just end up being this country that just sort of puts some of the hardware on the software which is all developed and produced elsewhere and which will form the core of the future car. Rochelle, many of these more interventionist tools are already permitted under EU rules, aren't they? Yes, I was just going to say, I think that's sort of been the pushback with the competition commissioner here when she met with the college a couple of weeks ago is that China is indeed an economic threat and that Europe needs to do something about it. But overriding the antitrust rules like the French and German politicians were pushing in the siemens alstom case, she really argued wasn't the right way to do that, partly because these two companies are already champions. They are already global companies. And having competition in Europe makes them better, more innovative. And then she did push on to the idea that actually there are instruments in Europe that can be addressing these things. And just to go through some of the points that Mr. Elmar was raising, the idea of the robotics buyout, 
Europe has recently just agreed to start doing foreign investment screening. So that would potentially be something a number of member states already have that capability if they want, although they don't exercise it. I think it's thought that on a European level, it would potentially mitigate some of the repercussions. If one member state blocked a purchase because it was from a specific country, they might be worried that that country might just write them off. So Europe tends to sort of mitigate that. Also, batteries are something that has come up. So Europe has this strategic battery alliance, which falls under something called the Projects of Common Interest in Europe, which are basically special rules that allow member states to provide state aid and subsidies within the existing framework to industries that are seen as transformational. And there's some very sensible rules around that. You need to have a consortium that needs to be more than one member state. And these companies are going to be getting a bit of a leg up. So the advances that they do make, there needs to be some sort of shared effect of that advances or IP within the European industry so that it develops quite a a strong supply chain. So the batteries one is in the process of being agreed. The first one was actually agreed a few months ago under the auspices of a few countries. And it was about coming up with a microprocessor capability in Europe, which is another sort of key piece in enabling technology when you look forward. And then obviously there's, you know, various trade instruments around action against subsidies and a push to try and get some reciprocal access. So Europe can't just be open without pushing back to the companies that are coming and bidding here, whether it's on our public procurement projects or wherever or in foreign investment, but say, actually, if you want to come to Europe and sell your products, our companies need to be getting reciprocal access into those. So there's initiatives working on pushing those, but the broader global rules and trade instruments obviously take time. Well, this is bound to be a red-hot topic for politicians in a big election year in Europe, and so there'll be plenty more opportunities to talk about the subject. That's it for this week. My thanks to Rochelle Toplensky and Guy Chazan. Until next week, goodbye.